You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Well, we are in the book of First Thessalonians uh, once again tonight. Uh, we're going to be finishing up. Uh, not tonight, but uh, within the next week or two, as we get to the last part of these verses here in First Thessalonians chapter number five, and uh, I want to—are we live yet? Yeah. All right, that's cool. I wanted to read this while while we were uh, on the uh, recorder deal. It says, "Dear Pastor Jesse and family, wishing you a very merry Christmas and healthy Happy New Year from Las Vegas. I am Robin Britton's sister, Frances." I want to thank you so much for putting your services on the internet. I watch your services most every Wednesday and every Sunday. Again, thank you for your time. I am a born-again Christian, and I know miracles still happen. Thank you again for your time and your wonderful messages. Sent with God's love and grace, Francis Abramo. I don't know if I said that name right, but I thought that was pretty cool. Miss uh, Robin's sister there, so... Thought that I would share that. So hello, Francis, if you're watching tonight. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, we've been looking about the coming of the Lord, and the whole idea of this uh, book that we've been looking at is uh, about the last days, the emphasis on the last days. And, and tonight's message is entitled, Jesus is Coming, So Let's Go to Church. Jesus is Coming, So Let's Go to Church. And I say that, as you'll see in just a moment, for a reason. Begin reading with me, please, in verse number 11 of 1 Thessalonians 5, where the Bible says, wherefore, and I just want to pause right there, because when you see a wherefore or a therefore, what do you ask yourself immediately when you're reading your Bible? What's it there for, or what's it wherefore? Uh, what's it there for? Sounds, uh, but why is it there? What, what's it there for? So wherefore? What's the wherefore? The wherefore goes back to the last part of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter number 5. It's talking about the coming of the Lord. So wherefore? Since we're speaking of the coming of the Lord, how should we respond to that? Well, he says there in verse number 11, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even, also, even as also ye do. So the first thing he does is point to one another. He's pointing folks to the church. The Lord's coming again, so what? Uh, uh, comfort one another. Uh, I can't do it. I think I'm getting too much feedback in these up here. Uh, but anyway, uh, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, verse 12, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks." For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want to just pause again here to remind you, this all has to do with Jesus' coming, okay? Uh, quench not the Spirit. Verse 20, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 
I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus. Faithful is he which calleth you, which also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that is that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I read all of those verses because I wanted to point out the practical nature as he points to us Christians and us in the church. You know, the church is the most blessed institution and really, uh, not really an institution, it's more of an organism than it is an organization. But it's the most blessed organism, the most blessed institution on the earth. It is the only one built by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not only built by the Lord, but it's bought by the Lord. In Acts chapter 20, verse 8, the Bible says, The church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. That's Acts 20, verse 28. So the church is, uh, was built by Jesus, is being built by Jesus. By the way, that's one of my big promises when it comes to the church that I hold on to. Uh, when it really gets down to it, we are to be faithful to what God has called us to do and try our best to uh, fulfill the vision and the calling that the Lord has placed upon us. But ultimately, it's God's business to build the church. He's the, that's His work, but He uses us to do it. It's bought by Jesus. The church is God's building. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So when I say the church is God's building, indeed, we've dedicated this building to Christ. But that's not what this Bible's talking about here. It's saying we are the building. It says the church is a building made up of lively stones or living stones because we make up the church. We are the building blocks of the church. The church is also Jesus' bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. And when you read down further there in Ephesians 5, it tells you that this is talking about primarily the relationship of Christ and the church. Jesus is bound to the church. How about this one? Acts chapter 9, verse 4. When the Lord Jesus confronted the Apostle Paul, here's what He said. He said, I heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now Jesus made that statement to the Apostle Paul after Jesus was resurrected and in heaven. The Apostle Paul never met Jesus while on earth, never tried to persecute Jesus while he was on this earth. But Paul said, or Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now who was Paul persecuting? The church. He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus is bound to the church and He says, hey, you're persecuting me right now. So Jesus takes that personally because the church is His body. The church is the bearer of the truth. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. You think about that. God has left it up to the church to continue the truth of God Almighty for all these ages. And it's just, the church is a miraculous thing, by the way, because the church has always been made up of, I've already said it, what's it been made up of? People. People like you and me. And it amazes me. You go read these early churches, these churches that saw miracles, these churches that heard Paul preach and Peter preach, 
and John the Apostle preach. I mean, saw these many things. Man, these people were a mess. They were a wreck. There were some of them there in Corinth, man. They were, they were involved in all sorts of immorality. And, and if you, you, it's an amazing thing that God Almighty, even when He uh, planned the church, that He left it in the hands. Think about the men that He left it into the hands of, Ralph, whenever He ascended to heaven. All these dudes that are running the other way. Talk about Deidre. How about Peter out there cussing and saying, I don't know God. Who are you talking? I don't know the Lord. Right? I mean, listen. I mean, that's what he's doing out there. And, and, and Jesus says, yep, that's my plan. Hey, Jesus, what's your plan for the next couple thousand years? Look at those guys. There it is. Wait, ain't that the guys, James and John and Peter? Aren't those the ones that were arguing who was going to be the greatest among them? Aren't those the ones that was trying to call fire down from heaven on the... But see, the church, man, I'm telling you, the church has all... God's got His hand on the church. And throughout the years, even though there's people in the church, false doctrine got in the church early on, there was all kinds of messed up stuff, but guess what? Somehow, God preserved His truth through the church. I mean, I'm talking about the church. Listen, there was a time when Christians were, I mean, that they were the most wanted. They were the top of the list uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of, of what was being hunted in this world. And yet the church survived throughout the dark ages. It's amazing. But so the church is the bearer of truth. It's the only institution that he promised to eternally bless. The one about which he declared the gates of hell, this goes to the point that we're making, I guess, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh, no matter what, the gates of hell will not prevail. There are nearly, uh, when we, now I want to bring this down because we read one of these verses in verse number 11. But there are nearly, because I'm thinking about the church now, Jesus is coming, so he puts an emphasis on the There are nearly 60 one another, quote-unquote one another, passages in the New Testament. For instance, you see there in verse number 11 of our text, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another. What does it mean to edify? To build up. It's like an edifice, right? You, an edifice is something that's built up. It's, a, it's something high. Well, we're to build one another up. We don't tear one another down. We build one another up, right? We edify. But notice what it says there. Edify one another. Six, some 60 times in the New Testament, it has one another passages there. All right? About one-third of, of the time, these... One another's deal about unity or getting along. He says that we need to be of the same mind with one another. We need to accept one another. He says we are not to bite, devour, and consume one another. You ever been in a situation like that? Isn't that a sad description of a church? But isn't it interesting that he was warning churches not to bite, devour, and consume one another? Why was he having to warn that? Because the church is made up of people, and that can happen. But he said, don't do that. He says to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And we could just go right on down the list. There's a lot, a third of the one another's are about getting along with each other, growing with each other, unity among ourselves, the one another passages. Uh, you know, it's a sad thing, and I've seen this to be true, and praise God. Listen, man, the Lord's blessed. We know what God's, how, the, how the Lord's blessed this church and continues to bless it, and He blesses it because of the people in the church that keep 
you know, that have a, um, you know, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Have a, have a defensive attitude. That defensive ain't the right word. But man, we make sure that we try to make sure that we maintain. The Bible says that we need to endeavor to keep unity. And we endeavor to do that, don't we? And praise God for those uh, that have done that. And that's why God's helped us to have that, that, uh, that kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another attitude. By the way, why do we need to forgive one another? Because we mess up, amen? Uh, we, we, we make mistakes, and, um, and we, we really do. And we, uh, so we have to forgive one another uh, because we all are still a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. So about a third of those deal with that. Another third of those deal with all the different love one another's. Love one another. Be affectionate one to another and so forth. About a third of those passages that deal with one another. The remainder deal with serving one another, deferring to one another, submitting to one another, which kind of goes along with the deferring there. Now, all of these one another's are primarily, if not exclusively, carried out within the context of a local church. And when I say local church right there, again, I want to emphasize, thank God for the building that God has given us to worship in. And I understand, in a sense, this is our church, and this represents uh, what, who we are, this represents, more importantly, who God is, and that's why we, uh, you know, we are, are able to invest in the building and try to make sure that it has a good presentation of excellence for the glory of God. But when it comes down to it, remember, we are the church. So when we talk about these one another's being carried out in the context of the local church, I'm not just saying the times that we meet together. The church, and, and this year I'd like to see a lot more of this, uh, just of us getting together outside of the church. I mean, even if it's just a, a, you know, one or two or a couple, I mean, just spending time together outside of the church. It can be, you know, I, I've got ideas for, for Bible studies and discipleship stuff, but in addition to that, just literally getting together. I mean, hey, ask somebody out, asking somebody out to lunch that you've never been to lunch with. Uh, you know, just reaching out to somebody or having someone over. And if you're not one that likes to have somebody over there, again, just uh, take them out to eat or, or something like that. Just, uh, just reach out. So these one and others, they are carried out within the local church. Now, what is the focus of the individual who says, I don't need church? Now, I've got to be careful here because I just got through reading. You've got to understand what I'm saying. I just got through reading about Francis who's watching online, right? But for those who say, I don't need church, I just watch online. Now, one of the great things about this is that we are sure, you say, preacher, you know that we're putting this online, right? Yes, because we want people to watch online. But what we don't want is people who are able, who are in an area to where they have a good, a good Bible preaching church they can go to, and they're able to go to that good Bible preaching church, just say, no, I don't need to go. I'm just going to stay at home and listen. I'm all about listening. But you can't carry out the one another's in your living room. Uh, so, 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 there's, so what's going on there when the focus there? Uh, or how about this one? I don't believe in church. I'll worship God in the field or in the lake or in the woods or whatever. Now, I've already said, I listen to church. I listen to preaching probably every single day of my life online or on the radio. I like it. I love it. I'm not against that by any means. Uh, and I believe in worshiping God out in His creation and nature. But the point is, is that that is not 
an ideal substitute for church. Thank God for the ministry that can go right into people's homes, right? For people who are shut in. For people who are in areas to where they can't hear or, or go to a church. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a lady that listens in Council Bluffs that she is physically not able to leave her home outside of some doctor's appointments with some major assistance in order to do that. Uh, and others that listen. Uh, man, thank God that we have a ministry and she just follows along and, and just wants to be a part of the church service as you do it. And so God bless you as you do that. But I think you understand what I'm saying. I'm just talking about able-bodied people who just say, you know what, I'm just going to stay at home. Because what are you honestly thinking about when you say that? Yourself. I get enough. I can grow. I can do this. But what about the one another? What about your spiritual gifts? You haven't been given your spiritual gifts just to minister to yourself. You've been given a spiritual gift to minister that spiritual gift to others. But now it, it, it grips me. It grips me how practical the admonitions concerning the Lord's coming are. In, in, in each of the times you read about the coming of the Lord, there's always a practical admonition that surrounds it. Jesus is coming, so here's the things He starts talking about. He talks about church. He talks about getting along with one another. He talks about rejoicing together, praying together, living right. Jesus is coming. It ought to affect our lives in a positive way. Is what he's saying in a very a positive and a very practical way. You ever thought about this? It's interesting, isn't it? Remember, the people in Thessalonica were going through some difficult times. I wonder how many people come to this church that oftentimes, or maybe the way you came to Christ, People are oftentimes driven to church and driven to Christ because of hard times. Is that not right? Sometimes hard times get your attention and you start thinking to yourself, man, maybe I need some." And not everybody comes that way, but some people do. Uh, but then there's, there's an irony though. Because sometimes the same people who are driven to church because of hard times, their excuse for leaving the church, hard times. Right? And, and now there's others like myself. I mean, I, I come to Christ. I guess you could say I come to Christ under duress. Um, but when I came to church, I had already been, I, I had just, just trusted Christ and come to the church and the Lord just uh, began to do a work in my life and I, and I fell in love with the church. Um, but man, I face some hard times because I know what it's like. I do when hard times come. I, I know what it's like because you kind of don't want to what if somebody asks you how you're doing? You know, right? uh, I come to church and, and I, I feel like I come to church and people are going to expect me to smile or something because that's what I do. I smile, you know. Uh, well, I don't really want to smile today and I don't really want to talk to anybody. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad week. Anybody? I mean, I'm just, it's just a rough time. And so I, I have struggled with that throughout my Christian life. But I'm telling you, by the grace of God, I started realizing that the times I wanted to come the least is the times I needed to come the most. And the thing, I, f I actually found that out by experience. Because somewhere along the line, I've shared this with many of you, but it was really a changing, a real big changing point in my life when I literally remember thinking to myself, uh, man, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say some of these things, but, I can, but it just tells what God does in our lives and how God's Word changes us. But I can remember that I lived... At one point, I told you at one time I lived a good distance from church. Well, later on, we merged with another church and bought a church that was just right across the highway. I could walk to church in 
you know, just a few minutes. But there were times, Ralph, I was having a bad day, and I'd, I'd, let out to, I'd head out to go to church, and I'd get to the railroad tracks. And right before I'd cross the railroad tracks, I'd sit down on the railroad tracks, and then all I had to do was cross the highway, walk down the street, and right there was the church. But I can remember sitting on those railroad tracks instead of going to church, because I was down, right? I mean, and I still get down. But I was just feeling down. I felt like God was a million miles away, and I'm just sitting there feeling bad for myself and my life and all that. And I remember doing that, and then I remember just sitting there for a while and then just turning around and going back home. My parents probably asked me how church was, and I can't remember what I said about it, but I might have lied. I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past me. But there, there came a time to where something just dawned on me. I know what it was, actually. It was one of those times, and I really didn't want to go. And I was thinking about not going. And I remember there was just something that I thought, you know what, I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. And let me tell you something. I got there, and God blessed my heart. I mean, God loaded up my wagon so much that my wheels were wobbling when I left, all right? I mean, God blessed me. And then the thought crossed my mind, man, what if I would have listened to my feelings? What if I would have listened to my emotions? Man, I would have missed out on this. And then I started thinking, man, that sorry devil. And I could have been talking to myself just about as much as the devil himself. But I'm like, man, what about them other times I didn't come? I bet I missed a blessing those times too. And so Anna, what I started doing was saying, you know what? I actually started getting excited when I'd start getting in my mind about not thinking going to church. I would start thinking, praise God, God's got a good one for me tonight. I really did. It just changed my whole mindset. But I know what it's like to go through hard times. Now, uh, not to say that you haven't been through harder times than I've been through, many of you, but I'm just telling you that God is faithful. We need to go even when we don't want to go. The Thessalonians were going through a tough time. The Hebrew Christians were going through a tough time. And many of them were just leaving the church. Many of them begin to leave the church. And in Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the church is not free from difficulties. It really isn't. Because saved sinners are in the church. And we are all still battling our old nature. Every one of us are. You know, and we, we talked about that tonight. And I'm glad that we can be, I'm glad we have a church that we can be open about that with, aren't you? I'm glad we don't have to come in here like, uh, you know, that we've got all of our, our, you know, T's crossed and our I's dotted. I mean, uh, we know that we've got T's, I, T's dotted and I's crossed and all kinds of stuff when we come in here. Um, Hey, we're, God, God's just doing a work on us, amen? And we're growing. I mean, see, we're, we're, none of us in here are the finished product yet. Not a one of us are the finished product yet. Ron's close, but none of us are the finished product yet. We all have things God's working on because, you know, so, some members of local churches are also spiritually immature. Is that not right? There's some, there's some Christians that are spiritually immature. There's some people that are a part of the church that may not even be saved. You say, well, preacher, isn't being saved a prerequisite of being a member of the church? Yeah, it is. But I don't know people's hearts. I just go by people's testimonies. Amen? And so that, that, but that definitely happens in churches. And so by following the instruction of the New Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we are enabled to grow into a healthy church. And that's what God's doing here. I, I'm telling you, 
we got a healthy church here. We really do. God's blessing uh, in this church, and we are growing, and we are growing numerically, but, um, but we're growing in health also. And so that's a, that's a wonderful thing, being a healthy church where people can grow, people can bring their families, people can invite others to without worrying about you know, any nonsense going on. You can invite people to church and you can be sure that the gospel is going to be preached uh, from the pulpit and from the classes. People are going to hear about Jesus. So the church at Thessalonica was a successful, was a church successfully striving toward holiness. Notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. So if you just look back over to your left there, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And like literally, he, probably about 12 other times, he refers to their abounding and their growth. But the idea behind that is, he's like, you guys are abounding but I just want to see you abound more and more. I want to see you continue to grow. So the Thessalonican church was indeed growing and growing, but he said, I want to see you grow even more. Numerous times, again, he had already commended them that the church was heading in the right spiritual direction. And throughout this passage here, he deals with very, very practical things, and I want to try to deal with just one of those over the next few minutes tonight. Uh, notice some directives here he gives in verses 12 and 13. This is cool. I love the way God works because one of the things that's great about preaching verse by verse through the Bible, I've said it before, is that uh, when you commit to do that, and you don't, we don't always have to do it, and I say that especially because I've got some messages coming up that are going to be a little bit more topical in nature as we head into the new year. But one of the cool things is, is that you preach whatever the next chapter is, whatever, whatever the next verses are, that's what we're preaching. Well, one of the cool things here at the church right now is one of the things that we're working on is uh, is kind of uh, redoing our bylaws and just establishing some things uh, with the bylaws of the church. And one of those things really is dealt with here in verses 12 and 13, and it's the relationship between pastors and the people. Really, when we talk about the bylaws, there's nothing that we're changing really as far as the operation of how we do It's just basically putting how we do into the bylaws so that they are are in unison. But that's cool because this is one of the things that's coming up. So it's crucial that the relationship between a pastor and his flock be be healthy to guarantee the spiritual progress of the church. The shepherds and the sheep do not fulfill their, their their proper spiritual responsibilities if, the, if they don't fulfill their proper spiritual responsibilities to each other, the church cannot be what God intends for it to be. This emphasis permeates throughout other New Testament epistles. I'm just going to share a couple verses with you about the relationship between Paul and, and ones to Titus and the church. But notice Paul talking to the church there at Rome, and he says that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. So he's talking about that mutual faith, and you read the context there, and you can just see the love and the connection between the pastor and the church there, between the apostle in that case and the church. In 2 Corinthians 7.13, he says, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceeding the more joyed for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. He was a visiting pastor to Corinth, and I love that. He says we were comforted. 
We were joyed. We were refreshed by you all. And I can say that as a pastor, I say it pretty regularly that I feel like I pastor the best church uh, in the country, in the world, because I can truly say that my experience at Elk Point Baptist Church is described pretty well in 2 Corinthians 7.13. I'm comforted. I'm exceeding, exceedingly joyed. And I am refreshed on a regular basis by y'all. And I ain't just saying that, man. I mean it, and my wife means it. And you don't know what it means to uh, me as a pastor and to my wife. And to me, not only only it means a lot to my wife, but it means a lot to me in um, for my wife's sake. In other words, I look at my wife, and I'm glad that she's got a healthy, loving church that she is surrounded by. I'm thankful for my children to have a healthy, loving church that they're surrounded by. Uh, my kids have, uh, I don't believe, uh, outside of maybe just a natural tendency, that you have never made my kids feel as if they were in a fishbowl. Uh, you have been, you have been uh, helpful with me. Like, in other words, I've, one thing I've, I've tried to avoid ever saying to my children, I've tried to never say this to my children, that um, you need to do or you need not to do A, B, and C because you're the pastor's kid and people are watching. Never once have I uttered those words. Because the reason they need to do or not do whatever it is they need to do or not do has nothing to do with me being the pastor. And it has everything to do with you profess to be a child of God, this is right, this is wrong, this is why you do it. Just treating them like any other kids when it comes to that. And I feel like the church has, has given them grace. And, and, uh, and, and boy, they're nine to perfect, I believe, um, that y'all would agree. Chad has them in Sunday school, and he couldn't agree more. Uh, he's only had to kick, kick one out once. But uh, anyway, uh, but, 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 but the thing is, <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, you know what? It's, it's not been like, oh, what in the world, you know? The, the church has not put un do restrictions upon my kids or, or emphasis on there. You just pray for them. You just love them. You know, you, uh, some, so there's, there's people in the church that treat my kids like grandkids. There's others that treat them like uh, their aunts and uncles, and in some cases, funkles, uh, you know, that they are. And it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing. My kids have been blessed, and, and they don't even know how good they've had it because they haven't had the other experiences. But I can say, thank God for a healthy relationship. Thank God for a church that we look forward to coming to church and we look forward to getting together with the people in the church and we are blessed. And I, uh, I am not even kidding you when I say this. It goes back, uh, I'm not going to get to the rest of this message tonight, but it goes back to, uh, it goes back to the storefront and it's never stopped since that time. I can remember just that there was a specific night, there was a nice spring or summer night, we were just standing outside after church one night and, uh, and I'm just looking around. And it's several of the men standing out there, and it's several of the ladies, and we're just out there kind of laughing and talking and whatever. And I remember looking around and being like, man, I'm the pastor here. These people come to this church and let me be their pastor. And I'm not even kidding you, that is a weekly occurrence for me. There were some of us guys that were getting up, that were up here um, was it earlier this week, or last? I think it was last week, that we're discussing some of the, the bylaw things and getting together, and it, I, I had the same feeling again. I just thought, really? 
Really? I used to have, uh, and I'm not going to get done tonight, so I've got to find a place to jump off here, but I, I used to have uh, this thing called imposter syndrome. You ever heard of that? Uh, and I know some people say, oh, I don't know if that's real or not. I'm telling you, I had it. Because something else I didn't tell you, standing out there at that store, outside of that storefront especially, I'm just like, one of these, sooner or later these people are going to figure out who I am. They're, go, they're going to be sitting there like, wait, what are we doing here? I mean, that guy? You know, I'm not going to bring my kids to hear that guy preach, and I'm not going to drive here to bring. What? I mean, I kid you not. It was like it was like a scary thing. It's like you know, at some point they're going to realize who I really am. But but I got past that. You know why? Because of you. Because of the Lord, number one. But because of you. And I start thinking, you know what? They know who I am. This is who I am, and they love me anyway. They 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 care about me anyway. And I kid you not. I mean, um, from the depths of my heart, I cannot think. Uh, this church enough for uh, just loving me and loving my family and loving one another and just maintaining unity and I mean just uh, it's just the greatest blessing of my life and uh, man I tell you one thing uh, I pray I really do I pray God just lets me stay here till Jesus comes I really do Um, and that sure is my plan tonight so uh the, the, the relationship that God has allowed us to have with one another, the friendship, the kinship. Hey, and you know what I like about it? I, I, I kid you not on this. Dan knows it. Uh, some of you know it well. You know what I like as much as anything? I like when we disagree. Ralph knows it. Because the point is that we're all striving toward the same thing. We're all trying to achieve the same vision. And I, I, I appreciate when, because I don't want, because this is, this is the, the, the message was pastor and relationship, and I was going to talk about the responsibilities of the pastor tonight uh, in this passage. But, you know, I, I, heard, I know I heard a pastor the other day talking about, you know, he was accused of surrounding himself with yes men or whatever. And, and he's like, well, what am I going to do? Surround myself with no men? Uh, right, and I, and I know it's like, but I believe there's a balance in there because I believe there's guys with true hearts that are trying to do the right thing that question, and I appreciate guys from time to time that you know play the devil's advocate, so to speak, or just have genuine questions because what it does is it gives us a chance for communication and it gives us a chance for growth, and so it's okay that we don't always agree on every little thing because it gives a chance for, for growth and it gives a chance for conversation. It gives a chance for iron sharpening iron. I remember one time, uh, I, oh man, I, t- I tell you, man, Ralph, R- Ralph, you're the one that started this crazy thing, man, and we need to get back to it. But, you know, because Ralph talked about a thing of trying to, trying to get some men to commit to praying on Fridays and I wasn't supposed to tell it was him that's wanting to do it. He's waiting on me to do it. How's that working out? Um... And then, and then get together on Saturdays. We used to get together on Saturdays. We'd alternate. We'd do one Saturday where we'd do just get together here and kind of have Bible study and prayer uh, with each other. Then the next Saturday, we'd do breakfast. But I'd love to get back to doing something like that with the guys. But there was one particular Saturday. It, was, wasn't, it wasn't an uncommon thing on Saturdays. But, man, we got to, uh, we got to in, a, in a deep conversation about missions. And it got, it got, uh, it got a little argumentative. It got a little heated, it got a little loud, never like knock down, drag out kind of thing, but we're going back and forth on this thing. 
And after when we were leaving, uh, Bud, if you'd believe Bud speaking up uh, in a men's breakfast and saying something, uh, Bud said, he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, you know, I apologize for bringing this or that up. I'm like, man, no. I was like, are you kidding me? That was great. And I said, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And I said, but the, I said, the thing is, sometimes iron sharpens irons, but guess what? Some sparks fly. But here's the thing. Here's the main thing. Since we know the main reason we're there, we're there to edify one another. We're there to help each other. So therefore, when we walk away, guess what we, man, we, we're not walking away fractured. We're not walking away with a, with a chip on our shoulder. No, sir. We're walking away closer. And that's how we do it. That's how we do it. We, we have conversations. We don't always agree on every little thing, but we follow the direction of the Lord, and the Lord works it out. And so, um, so the relationship between the pastor and the church is, is really what's being addressed here. Notice with me again here in verse number uh, 12 and 13, and um, I'll just point them out to you as we read them, and then we'll call it, have to call it good. The Bible says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you and the Lord, and admonish you. This is a reference to pastors within the church. You see the responsibility of pastors there. It says that, that uh, it says to know them. It says to know them. Oh, I'm sorry, that's your part. Uh, let me talk about the part of the pastor. The part of the pastor is to labor. Know them which labor among you. Pastors have a responsibility to labor to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion. And I'm not going to go into that too much more tonight, but the pastor has a responsibility to labor. The pastor has a responsibility to exercise authority. The Bible says, and are over you in the Lord. And that's what I was really uh, excited about talking about in the context of the bylaws and just laying out kind of the way we've always done things around here, but just getting it down and why we do it. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed, and I've studied the Bible to try to find it. You'd be hard-pressed to find uh, boards and groups of people running the church. The only exception that you find there is with the apostles in Jerusalem when they were trying to make big decisions over the church overall, but it was the apostles making decisions for the churches. But after that, you see the admonitions are made toward the pastors who work and lead as servant leaders within the church. That's the leadership that you find in the New Testament. Um, and again, there's a number of passages that allude to that. Hebrews 13, 7, 1 Peter 5. By the way, pastor, uh, I better give this to you just for the sake of your study. Uh, there are several terms that describe, identifies and describes pastors in the Bible. Pastor is one. You might want to write that one down. Um, preacher is another. Elder is another. Over, overseer or bishop, they're the same word, are another. Uh, and so again, responsibility to labor, responsibility to exercise authority. Uh, when you look in the book of Revelation, for instance, this is a key thing that goes along with 1 Peter chapter 5. When the, when, the, when the Lord speaks to the angel of the church, what does the word angel mean? Anybody know? It means messenger. So not every time that you find the word angel do you imagine this person with wings. Matter of fact, most of the times you read about an angel, they don't have wings. Just so you know. Uh, the seraphim and the, uh, the cherubim and some of them do, but the ones that seem to appear on earth do not. 
But regardless of that, the angel of the church is the messenger to the church. It's the pastor of the church. Why is Jesus talking to them? Jesus doesn't say, now unto the deacon board of the church, right? No. He doesn't do that because he's holding the pastor responsible. So uh, then there's also, then lastly, the responsibility to provide instruction. It says to admonish you, to admonish you. So the, the, the pastor, the shepherd, must be able and willing to teach the Word of God and to equip people with that which they need from the Word of God. So uh, again, that last bit that I gave you over the last three minutes there was about, that was, a, that was two pages, and you know how long it takes me to do two pages. So we'll, we'll look at that on another time because, again, the, the timing was just perfect. I was excited about it because, like, man, i got to teach on this stuff. Uh, and then it's like, oh, okay, I'll just keep on teaching First Thessalonians, and I can teach on that part of it anyway. So anyway, we'll address some of that, Lord willing, on next week.